You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. Join us as we focus the spotlight back on the theater maker to uncover their process. We speak with folks in the industry that often aren't heard from. Such as stage managers, producers, crew members, marketing professionals. And everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Cody Renard Richard, and I am a stage manager. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. You've definitely been on my list for quite some time, and I will get into how a little bit later. I'm interested in starting out with what were some of the first opportunities that you got after graduating with a BFA in stage management from Webster University Conservatory? I graduated college, and I uh, worked at Stage of St. Louis, and then I worked at Kansas City Rep. Um, right after college, and I got my equity card at Kansas City Rep, and this was in September. Um, I had always knew that I was going to move to New York um, uh, throughout college. Like, New York was the goal um, ever since my sophomore year. So I knew my plan was to move in the fall. And by a strike of luck or God or whatever, the universe, I was doing the show in Kansas City, and I got a call about a Cirque du Soleil show in New York City at um, Madison Square Garden asking if I was available. And I lied and said that I was. And I left that show early and moved to New York to to do this Cirque show at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and that was like my first show in New York. I always love when a story includes like, and I lied. <laughs> well, sometimes you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do to to make it happen. Yeah, no, totally. And then it always makes a great story, but also like it launches your career most likely. So I knew it wasn't a lie that I couldn't back up. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm planning to be there. What are the dates? Like I can figure this out. How can you connect the dots from that to your first Broadway gig? So I finished Cirque. Cirque was a three, two to three month show at Madison Square Garden, which was amazing. And it was, it was one of the biggest things I've ever, ever worked on. You know, I was what, 21, 22. It was, it was amazing. And then, um, the show closed as they do, cause it was a limited engagement. And I was like, all right, I just did this thing at Madison Square Garden. What's next? Like, it has to be something cool, right? And I had no idea how to find a job in New York City. Like, we, you don't really taught that in undergrad unless you have connections here and whatever. I, I didn't know what to do. So I got on Playbill and ultimately my goal was to work on Broadway. So I got on Playbill and I looked for like job postings and listings, couldn't find anything. Um, the transport group was doing a show called Hello Again, and they just put out a press release. I saw that um, that there were a bunch of Broadway actors in the show, and my reasoning was, you know, if I could be in a room with a bunch of Broadway people, then that'll just get me closer to to getting on a show or like get you know get connections. And it was just a bunch of actors, but I was like, at least I can be around people who do this. So I reached out, I reached out to the transport group. Jack Cummings was the director, and he hired me as a PA. He was like, we're a small company, so we can't really pay you. We can pay you fifty dollars in a metro card. And I was like, great. So I did that show, and then they did another show called. 
Phyllis Strata Jones. Um, I stayed and did that show as a PA off Broadway. So I essentially worked for them for about nine months for $50 because I was trying to get my foot in the door. And then luckily, Lisa Strata Jones moved to Broadway. And when that happened, through a series of events, um, they brought me on. Would you recommend that, you know, taking that $50 in the Metro card to young up and coming stage managers or even just theater makers in general? Like, would you recommend that? I mean, it sounds like I've also gone through that myself, like (laughs) full disclosure, but I'm just always curious, like now looking where we are as an industry now, like if that's really what we want to be promoting. I mean, I'll say a couple things on that. I think that you have to take a chance for your dream, um, but also think that you have to survive. So if you, if by taking that show, you can't survive and live and eat and do that things, then do those things, then absolutely don't do it. Um, and the other thing I would say is that all internships needs to be paid, you know, a living, uh, a minimum wage at the, at the, at the bare minimum. Um, but, but I do stand by, you know, sometimes you have to take a chance to get to where you want to be, but as long as it doesn't detract from your livelihood. When did you take the leap from PA to assistant stage manager on Broadway? So my first show on Broadway um, as uh, on contracts um, was Motown. I had PA'd about three or four shows before that, but my first actual show on contract was Motown. Since we, we like to focus on process here, I'm curious as to looking back, so looking at your first few shows even, how your process preparing as a stage manager, preparing each show, each new contract, like what that looked like for you at the beginning, and then we can talk about what that looks like to you now. Um, preparing for a new show in my earlier days um, was equal parts simple and equal parts um, not, <laughs> only because... Um, of the responsibilities that you get as a as a PA, I was hired for Ghost. I did Ghost the Musical right after Lisa Strata Jones. I was hired. We loved. <laughs> I saw it three times in a month. Are you serious? Yeah, the closing month. I actually, I absolutely loved it. I oh, amazing went to closing. I loved it that much. Oh, amazing! I love that. So, so yeah, I worked on that show and I got hired for that show two days before rehearsal started. So yeah, preparing for that was basically getting dressed and going to work. You know what I mean? So like, so it's, it's, it changes as, as you get more responsibility, I guess. Um, but you know, I used to, I would research who was in the show. I would look up who the designers were and stuff. Cause I was younger and I didn't know these people. So I wanted to have some type of context about what they did. So if I were asked something of them, I would know. Um, So that's kind of really all I did um, as a PA because I didn't really know what my responsibilities would be. Do you think it's a responsibility of the stage manager to to be familiar with all areas of theater, like all different jobs that are available? Or do you think it's I mean, or could you argue that it's everyone should know everyone who works in the industry should be aware of all jobs? I mean, I think it certainly helps that if everyone is aware of what everybody does. Um, just because once you know what people do, you probably have a little bit more respect for what they do. Um, uh, specifically for stage managers, I think it's absolutely important to know what everyone does because we um, essentially work with everyone. We have a, we, we have a hand in almost every department, um, whether no matter how big or small. So it just helps to know what they do. From the times that you were brought on when the process was just starting, versus the times that you've replaced into shows. Can you talk about the differences in process between those two experiences? You know, when you jump into The Lion King that's been running for so long, how does that differentiate between um, 
I don't know, something that you just started with from the like beginning. Like Freestyle like, Love Supreme. Right. <laughs> well, those are so polar opposite. And what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say, like jumping into The Lion King is overwhelming because it's a huge show and it's been running for so long and everyone is comfortable in what they do. And, you know, everyone has their, they, they already have a, an existing family. So it's a bit overwhelming to walk in and to like find a way to fit in or or to learn the show and just uh start you know because a lot of them are a lot of people are going through the motions because they've been doing it for a long time so like to get into that rhythm is a little overwhelming at first um which i would say is normally different from a show that you start from the beginning but freestyle love supreme was also overwhelming because they had been a group for the last 15 to 20 years like they've they've known each other forever so those two shows have very some like similar patterns um but a normal show, like starting it from the beginning, um, I enjoy more because you get to help create it. You, it's it, you have a little bit more ownership of what you do, a little bit more say in how the process works, a little bit more. It's more collaborative, and um, and that to me, um, I enjoy a lot more. So I'm so glad that you mentioned going through the motions and the people that have been with shows for so long. Just you know go through the motions. So for the Lion, I mean, it doesn't have to be for the Lion King specifically, but for those productions that you've worked on where you've noticed that people just start going through the motions, how does that feel from you from a stage management's perspective, especially because you're part of the creative team in that sense, and you're kind of the director's eye after they've left? Yeah, I think there's a difference though, um, And, you know, going through the motions and being complacent in your job. Um, So, like, there are people who I think that show up and do it and they're going through the motions, but they're less enthusiastic offstage or they're less enthusiastic about how they approach it. And, you know, and and it's I, I guess it's fine because they're doing the job in the way that they should. And then there's the flip side of that to people. You know, there are some people who who are with shows for a very long time and they get a bit a little bit lazy in the way they approach things. And you know what I mean? So, yeah. so that's a little bit frustrating, but also, you know, it's hard to stay engaged and it's hard to say um, to stay full out all the time when you've been with the show for sometimes five years or three years or 15, you know, right. You know, I've just the reason I ask is because I've heard a lot of actors talk about how they feel when they go into a show where there are a bunch of people who have been there for a long time and maybe aren't putting their full 100% in there. So I was just wondering if that experience was a little different from the stage management's perspective, not being on stage with everybody else, but still being a part of that, uh, putting the best show out there every night. Yeah, I mean, that energy is definitely um, palpable. Like if, if you walk into an, um, an environment where the energy is pretty low because everybody's tired and everybody's, you know, done with the week or done with whatever because they've been doing it, like you, that energy, um, you can feed off of that and you sort of sometimes can get into that rhythm too. Um, for me, though, I... I usually vibrate at a high frequency. I like to make people feel good and I like to feel good myself. So anytime I'm in that environment, I I seek out the people who are like-minded and try to, you know, try to get get other people to to be happy and to to enjoy what they're doing because I think that is really important. Are there other, I mean, aside from 
uh, being around those people? Are there other ways that you keep yourself uh, motivated if you're on a longer run or if you if you feel like you've hit a slump? Are there things that you do to kind of recall those feelings of excitement and those positive emotions? Or do those times that you feel that, is, is that when you know that it's time to move on to the next job? Interesting question. I think for me, whenever I feel a little burnt out or I feel a little bit like, oh, I got to go to work today, then I know it's time for a vacation or I know that I need to no, seriously, or I know that I need to, you know, spend more time with my friends or like do more things outside of the theater. Um, I have a big social life, so I make sure that I that I see people. So like my life is not only my job. I have to remember that I love what I do. And in order for me to love what I, what I do, I have to do other things outside of the theater as well. Um, so that's kind of like what I do to keep myself going when I'm on, when I'm in those situations. I feel like you're just speaking directly to me in this moment because I mean, right before we like officially started recording, we were kind of sidebarring about just like self-care and quarantine specifically, but just like I'm so bad at like remembering to just take vacations, which sounds so it just sounds so silly, but like No, it's it's not though. You have to make yourself do it. I years ago I went I never went on vacations, but I went to Australia to visit a friend and ever since then I was like, I have to take a big vacation outside of the US. Like every year I have to do no matter where I'm at where I'm at financially or what I'm doing, I have to figure it out. So that's what I've been doing every year. I, I leave. I'd go somewhere. Oh, I love that. I think oh, this is okay. a great time to ask you what your favorite part of your job is. I love collaborating with people. Um, I'm a people person, so I enjoy interacting with people. I enjoy um, I enjoy the responsibility of people coming to me for 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 questions or for concerns or whatever. Like I I, I thrive in that environment, so I think. That is one of the reasons why I love stage managing so much because I get to interact with everyone and I get to help problem solve things for everyone and I get to mediate and facilitate. And like, I know those are a lot of different <laughs> um, answers, but essentially it all comes back to just collaborating with people. I, I really enjoy um, getting to work with so many people uh, in the theater and, and, and being that person for them to come to when they need um, something for the show or information or whatever and like carrying that out and you know at least the stage management job feels like it's a it's a perfect marriage between like th- administration and creation yeah I a little know, bit. I don't know if you feel that a little bit I mean there is a lot of um, administration there's a lot of um, there's a little bit of creation there's a little bit of management so like I feel like I get a little bit of each world you know what I mean like you know, we we have to make sure that the show stays on track during tech. Like we have to to uh, manage time and, and things and stuff like that. So I think from I, I it's a little bit of almost each part of what you get from the you know what I mean. So like I like that. See, I'm curious as to I think we asked this of Christy of our stage manager guest from episode one, but so calling a show to me sounds so daunting. And I don't know what it is about it, but I'm always curious to know like what your thoughts are on it and what was like if you even remember your first time you ever called a show and like what that felt like. I remember my first time calling a Broadway show. I'll never forget it. It was I um it was Motown and Motown was a a, a pretty big show. It had all those um posts that moved across the stage. We had holes in the floor. 
and it was long. So there was a lot of things that went into it. Um, but I remember my first time calling, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And when it was over the next day, my PSM, Julia Jones came up to me and she was talking to me and she was like, okay, you got that out of the way today, breathe and be personable. Cause at the top of the, at the top of the show, you check in with the crew and, and I, you know, I'm a very personable person, but I guess the way I checked in with the crew, I was very much, I was very much like, um, spots, are you there? Like, <laughs> cause I was so nervous and I was trying to make sure that I did everything right. So she was like, just breathe breathe and, you know, talk, don't, you know, so I'll never forget that. Um, but calling a show is exciting. It's exhilarating. It's like you're the commander of the ship. It's also nerve wracking and it's all of those things. I just feel like there are certain cues where you probably like don't like, how do you breathe through them? I'm sure there are some cues and I'm going back to, um, what I know of Hamilton. I know that there's like a few, probably the entire show, but I know there are a few numbers where it's just like cue after cue after cue. And it's like, how do you breathe? How do you find that timing? How do you like balance that all within yourself? Like it's just a lot. I give you guys a lot of props. <laughs> well, you know, calling the show is like choreography. You know, a lot of our cues are on counts. And um, and when we set up the book, we figure out like the the language to say to, you know, to make sure that you can execute the cues at the right time. You know what I mean? So like, it's a, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of dancing with the cues, which is also kind of fun, especially on a musical. How did the live televised musicals that you've worked on come into your career? Um, I started with uh, The Wiz Live, and I basically got that show because um, The Wiz was a co-production um, with Cirque du Soleil and NBC. And because I primarily had a background in, in Broadway and musicals and also had worked for Cirque, I reached out to the team at NBC and I was like, I feel like I have the perfect background for this. I would love to be considered, interviewed, and then, you know, I interviewed and and then they brought me on and that was kind of how I got involved with those. Was that was there like a a call for that? Was there like a listing that was posted somewhere? Or was that purely just like you just reaching out cold to these executives oh, or whoever yeah. was a part of NBC? That was me Googling who was directing the Wiz, who was and like finding names and then finding people that knew them and then finding email addresses and then sending an email. That's basically how that happens. Yeah. Well, it just proves, I mean, that has proven to be true, at least in a few people that I know's lives. If, if you want it badly enough, like you're, you're going to make that work. You're going to do the extra 10 miles if you need to. And I mean, what an experience because you went on to not only do Just the Wiz, but you did Hairspray Live, you did Jesus Christ Superstar Live. And what were those shows like, you know, what were your responsibilities during the process and what part of the process did they bring you in? Um, so for all three of those, I was there from beginning to end. Um, and um, mainly because I do have a theater background. So we rehearsed the show um, as if it's a Broadway show. We rehearsed for five weeks in a rehearsal studio. So all of those structures and um, things are in place as if we um, are doing a, a Broadway rehearsal. So that part was felt very second nature to me. Um, uh, which was great. And then and then after that we moved into we moved on to set and that's when, you know, that's when the learning curve began because we added cameras and we did all these dry blocking exercises and all these things that that I wasn't used to. So like what is normally our tech rehearsal um, became a different set of thing because it's television. Um, but yeah, so I, I was there from the beginning to the end for all three of those productions. Now just looking at the three shows, so the Wiz was on it was on a stage. Jesus Christ was- Superstar yeah, okay. well, it was in a sound stage, but it was we they built they built a um a proscenium stage, so it looked as if it was in the theater. 
But it wasn't like Hairspray where it was very – it felt very much like it was like a movie, like like on Universal Studios, like live. Right. Right. Hairspray, I think, was was shot on like 20 different locations. We would have to ride um, golf carts to get from place to place. <laughs> oh, my God. And how many stage managers were on, I guess, Hairspray? Like how many – what was I, that team? I think we had 16 maybe. There's a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you're trying to cover a lot of ground, like uh, literally a lot of ground. Yeah, exactly. I always like to think of the stage manager as the liaison between the creative team and the performers. I don't know if you see it that way, but I'm wondering as a black stage manager working on many productions with BIPOC performers, how are your experiences working with white creative teams versus BIPOC creative teams? Primarily, most of the shows, with the exception of Motown, I'm I'm grasping at straws, but I think for has been led by white creatives, and it's always an interesting time for me because the cast primarily looks to me for certain things just because I can relate with them, um, which is nice because we're, is, there's a comfortability that's there. Uh, but, you know, I do find sometimes, and this is not on every show, but sometimes when I have white creatives who are, you know, at the helm of a Black production, um, they tiptoe around how they want to, you know, go about things because they don't want to... Give notes and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just an interesting tactic that I that I find is like they, they don't feel like they can be completely free or like they don't really or the, the, the big thing too is that they don't really have um, the knowledge or or the lived experience of, of the show that they are helming and I think that is huge because the people most times the people that they cast have lived this stuff so they can actually probably school the creatives on on what it's like to to be in this time period or whatever in those those circumstances yeah exactly so there's a lot of so there's a lot of like you know i want you to do this because this and they're like no actually that you know what i mean like so it's a lot of it's a lot of that yeah well that's what i was wondering because you probably are in a lot of the conversations on both ends of those spectrums um with the creative team and then you're with the cast and it's like how do you find that balance for yourself of like I don't know. Do you do you ever consider yourself an advocate for performers when you're when the creative team is around? Absolutely. I try to be, especially as I've gotten older and as I've felt like I've established um, my voice and my place in the theater. I I try to be an advocate as much as I can, especially if um, if I have the power to do so. Um, sometimes it's not as easy. And uh, um, so there have been times where I've failed and not have done it, but I but I try to, yes, um, if someone feels like they need um, assistance with something or if someone feels like they need to, you know, they need someone to speak up for them, absolutely. I, I try to be that voice for them because um, it's important, especially in, in these spaces that aren't necessarily built for um, black and brown people. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, with everything that's been going on with with racism in, in our industry, I, I never even realized that Broadway doesn't have human resources department. Like it, and then someone had mentioned that it, you know it, it kind of falls on the stage manager's hands or shoulders. And so I don't know if I 
agree with that. But I'm curious if as a stage manager, if you agree with that statement or if you have other thoughts on that. I mean, I do agree with it a little bit. It um, it falls at the hands of, of whoever management is, uh, company management, stage management or general management. But oftentimes your stage manager is your first line of defense. So if there's something going wrong or something, if there's an issue in the theater, they come to you with that issue. Um, for me, being a Black stage manager, if there's an issue revol- uh, um, involving race, um, the person in the show normally comes to me first just because I... You know, I'm a familiar face and I can understand what what it is in addition to me being a stage manager. So I do agree that that the stage manager is the first line of defense and that we're having to mediate a lot of um, a lot of situations, whether it's race or, or just personal whatever. So I'm curious because obviously we've been shut down for I can't even tell you how long anymore, but you know, when Broadway does open back up, how do you see your job changing, your physical job as a stage manager changing within the industry? Um, well, I mean, we've been shut down for too long to answer that. But uh, <laughs> um, I feel like our jobs will change a little bit or, or drastically. I mean, for me, it's involving like race and inclusion and equity and all that stuff. My job doesn't change there because all I have to do is show up and advocate for the people who needs it. So like for me, specifically about me as a stage manager, that doesn't change for me. Um, as far as like being a stage manager post-COVID because of this virus, um, I think there's going to be a lot of extra care and a lot of extra caution that has to go into what we do and the decisions that we make and the people that we bring on and, and all of that stuff. And like the way we check certain props and the way we check people into the theater and all. And I think there's going to, there's probably going to be a new system put in place. I have no idea what theater is going to look like when we come back, but I, but I can only imagine that there's going to be a lot more systems um, regarding safety and um, health that, um, that we're all going to have to deal with. And as far as your your role that you play as as a theater maker in the Broadway industry, the theater industry as a whole, you know, over the oh, since June, probably a little bit before June, but over the last, you know, 2 months ish, you've appeared on several news stations, podcasts, on, on virtual online forums talking about the industry and talking about the racism within the industry and how we as an industry can move forward and be better and be more inclusive and equitable. And so do you think that that will also continue through in the same way, meaning like continued virtual forums or podcast conversations or, or, I mean, I'm not really sure about live events to be honest, but you know, maybe that as well, like as we open back up and as we, you know, reshape what Broadway looks like. I mean, it should, you know, um, this issue isn't going to be resolved overnight. You know, we've been dealing with being um, considered a minority or an other or, you know, we've been dealing with diversity and inclusion for years and racism for years. Like this is not going to be solved in my lifetime, in your lifetime. But what I will say in every conversation that we have, in every panel that we do, in every event that is hosted, in every organization that has started, it moves the needle forward. And we have to continue to move the needle forward if we're going to actually see change. So I think it would behoove us to continue doing these things. And and the people who, who are in power who are attending these um, uh, seminars and and 
and events and stuff. It's in their hands to to actually, you know, take this practice into their daily lives and to actually put action to what they're talking about, you know. And it's also our responsibility too, as as artists, to to start to create our own and um and hold people accountable um, across the board. Yeah, and I think even more so when theater opens back up eventually, the industry will be very focused on that particular thing, the business. I mean, I hope so. No, I know. I mean, I actually mean like just the business of opening back up. Oh, right. So I think it's going to be, you know, everybody's job that is going to keep this in the back of their minds and the forefront of their minds to speak out and continue the work when theater opens back up to not let things slip. Yeah. Well, there's a new sense of awareness now. Like this time has, as, as, as unfortunate as it's been, there's a new sense of awareness for people who have, have not been aware of, of these issues that have been going on for so many years. So I think that's a positive thing that we can look at is that now that people are aware, hopefully, you know, they can move forward with better decisions. You know, um, when you know better, you do better. (laughs) No, right. I mean, especially since a lot, a lot of us have had a lot of time. We have a lot of time to, (laughs) to, to really, to really listen to what the conversations are and what people are saying and how, and then even to then go one step further during this quarantine and like figure out how we can take action and how we can start to implement so that when we do open up that, we're not playing catch up, if that makes sense. I mean, that's just been my experience with the jobs that I have currently, you know. If it's all right with you, Mary, I was wondering if we can move into Cody's teaching and mentorship. Yes, absolutely. You're an adjunct professor of stage management at Fordham, and you've also taught at, you know, some other schools like Yale, NYU. So can you talk a little bit about your experiences getting into teaching and how you made that jump? Yeah, teaching is not something that I ever sought out. Um, I, I I never necessarily wanted to be an educator. Um, I love engaging with young professionals and students. Um, uh, one of the things that I love the most is inspiring people to to be their their best self and to chase their dreams. So I think it was kind of birthed from that. Um, I I do a lot of speaking and Q and A's and stuff. And I you know I've done like lectures at Yale and and NYU and Ithaca. And in doing that, I think that led to me that that just paved the way for me to start teaching at Fordham. Um, so when I was approached to teach at Fordham, I I almost turned it down because. Um, I'm busy and it was just never, and to be completely honest, yeah. And I just never thought of it. Um, but I'm so grateful that I, that I did it because I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about the students that I was teaching and it really just made me, it kind of just made me a a better artist through that, if that makes any sense. Um, but but through my passion of just trying to empower people and make people realize their greatness, I think that's how I you know, got to teaching. Yeah, I was going to say for a stage manager specifically to be able to adjunct while you're still working. Uh, how does that work logistically with your time? Because stage managers, you know, rehearsals and evenings and do you just like carve out, you know, two days a week at a certain time and just commit to or it Mondays. or do you work it around your whatever you're working on? 
Um, you kind of make it work. Um, uh, for Fordham, my class met once a week and we met early in the morning. So, so if I was in rehearsal, I would only have to miss like an hour and a half or I would bring, you know, a guest speaker in to be with the class when I wasn't there. Um, I only been at Fordham for a semester. I was only there for the last semester and, um, we were cut short because of COVID. So that kind of worked itself out, I guess. What's like one piece of advice that you would always give some sort of up and coming stage manager, whether it be a student or somebody that just reaches out to you on social media or stage door? Um, I, you know, I get asked this question a lot and I change the answer every time. It just Perfect. We're, we're keeping it fresh. <laughs> exactly. It just depends on what my mood is. And today I think I would tell people to uh, I would tell people two things. Um, the first one is to be yourself and be kind, um, because that goes a long way. People want to work with people who are authentic and who are kind. You know, I would much rather work with someone who, um, who shows up and, and I know who exactly who they are and who's, who's nice and willing to learn as opposed to someone who is rude and, you know, putting on this type of disguise and very you know, good at what they do. You know what I mean? Like I would much rather go with person A. Um, And the other thing I would say, because I really feel like we're lacking in hope right now. I feel like our, our, our current state of affairs, no one is giving us hope. And so I would tell people to never give up on their dreams to, to like know that if there is something that they really want to do, go for it, you know? Um, And I think that's important for people to hear. Well, I really like that your piece of advice changes based on the day because truly I think that that says a lot about why you're giving a piece of advice at a certain time. And I think that I'm going to pay attention to that a little more when I you know, ask people that question for this or just in life in general or listening to podcasts myself. And then, you know, sometimes like it changes, but like there's always a common thread because it's, yeah. it's unique to who it's you are. You. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was speaking the other day and I kind of said a version of this, but it was, it, it came from a different place. So, it, so the message might have been different, you know? And I also, for anyone, any of our listeners who have listened to several episodes now will probably catch the common thread of what, what you, Cody, just said of, you know, being, being kind, being yourself, because that is, no one wants to work for, you know, whether it's three days or six years or 10 years, like no one wants to work with someone who's not nice. And it's it, who isn't. Yeah. And it's just not, it doesn't, talent really doesn't, I mean, talent gets you so far really in this industry. It's really about who you are as the individual that's going to then propel your career. So I think that that really speaks volumes. I also just wanted to say that, so I, I kind of teased this at the beginning when we were starting to chat, but so the first time that I was ever introduced to you was through an Instagram takeover that you did on ha- Hamilton's Instagram account. And oh, yeah. I was so blown away at the fact that they were featuring someone who was not an actor. Oh, and I really? That was so, I, that was, and that was before Brian and I made this podcast, but it has always been a huge part of who I am was, you know, learning about those people who are not performers, who are not always featured you know, on all of the platforms or in the literal spotlight, but the people who are also doing just as, you know, hard work behind the scenes. And so I thought that, you know, if, I mean, I was, I think I was in grad school when that happened, but I, I, I was immediately drawn to like these young performers, these kids, these up and coming theater makers. Like I, I'm so curious as to like what that, 
what what your Instagram takeover, like what kind of impact that had on them. And I'm not sure if you remember or could even go back to it, but I don't know if anyone had reached out to you, like any aspiring stage managers or even just like non-actors who reached out to you and asked questions or even actors who reached out. Like, do you remember kind of any feedback that you got? Oh, absolutely. I don't remember specifically feedback, but I do remember from that moment on, um, there were a lot of people who I didn't know who who uh, reached out, either emailed me or like followed me on my own personal Instagram and like asked me questions or, you know, told me that I was inspiring for them. And that that was crazy just because, you know, uh, as stage managers, we rarely do this for for the reward or like you know what i mean so like we're very we're we're rarely visible in that way so in doing that takeover it just um exposed so many other people to a different job which i think is so cool um right now there's this thing um called year of the stage manager that amanda spooner who's a stage manager in new york who she created this and it's basically to raise awareness and increase visibility and to celebrate stage managers and um and uh, it's really it's really cool because a lot of people who didn't know who who a stage manager was or what they do are being um, exposed to that, and I think that is really it's really important. Um, just because we're we're rarely in the limelight, and and that's okay. But it's nice for people to know that we exist. And and also speaking as a black stage manager, I don't know very many. I mean, I've gotten to know more as I've gotten older, as I've like actively seeked people out. But I coming up didn't know any until you know three or four years into me living in New York. Um, so so I think that's important too, just just to to let, you know, younger generations know that people look like you are doing this and doing it well, you know? I think, yeah, I was going to say representation matters. Like, I just, I feel like every day I just say that and that's, you know, it's exactly what you just said, which I think is so special. And I hope that more shows and, and more companies in, in the industry take note and they really do that so that they, I mean, that was, that's been our goal with our podcast was to, to have these conversations with people that you don't often hear from because, you know, what they do is important and what they do, it could inspire someone, you know, who's in college or someone who's out of college or someone who's in high school, you know, who doesn't realize, cause you know, when I was in school, I didn't realize like that there were other jobs out there besides just acting. And then you learn a little bit more and you learn a little bit more and so I think it's important. Um, we came up with like a couple like fun, I, I think fun questions <laughs> um, <laughs> that we're going to maybe use to end the episode if we like. Okay. So you're our guinea pig. <laughs> what is one thing in the theater industry that confuses you? Ooh. Um, oh, God. <laughs> That's so hard. Why is it so hard? Okay. I love this. That's actually the same same reaction we get for our last question. Really? <laughs> yeah, which is a totally uh, different what, question. <laughs> what is one thing in the theater industry that confuses me? Well, why we turn on the ghost light at night? Like I don't get it. Like I get it, but I don't understand like why it has to happen. Ain't nobody there. I love it. What? I'm not even gonna respond to most of these. I'm just gonna ask. <laughs> what are three adjectives that describe your favorite working environment? Ooh, this is good. Um, three adjectives: inclusive, um, fierce, and fun. Hmm. Is there something in your process that you find unique to you? Um, getting to know the people. 
um, uh, investing in the person and not the product. Um, uh, that's that's one thing that I, I try to do on each project that I work on. Um, who is your favorite playwright or genre? Um, I will have to say, uh, off the top of my head, my favorite playwright is probably Terrell Alvin McCraney. Um, I did some workshops of his production of Choir Boy, and and just watching him work in the room with the cast uh, was 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 magic. I I love that. What is one hobby that you have outside of the theater? Well, I just recently became a plant zaddy. So uh, I'm a so garden I have daddy. A lot of plants at home. Yeah. So, so I would go with that. What is one job in the theater industry that you would trade jobs with for one week? Now, okay, I'm asking a follow-up question. Do I have to be good at it or do I just have to want to do it? You just have to want to do it, but only for a week. So it could be really difficult and you only have to do it for eight shows. <laughs> I would love to be a choreographer. I wouldn't be great at it, but I would love to just, I love like when choreographers get in their groove and they're like, they're not counting and they're just making up stuff and like, and they're like in these eccentric outfits. And I love that. I would love to be a choreographer for a week. Oh no, my bell's ringing. I probably messed it up. That's okay. What is your favorite or go-to pre-show or after-show meal? Um, Pre-show... Um, it, it was usually Kodama because you can go over there and pick it up quick. I love some sushi, take it to the theater. Um, that was normally pre-show. Um, post-show would be the chicken couscous at Glass House Tavern um, with a glass of Cabernet. Wow. Wow. Okay. I want it <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I miss both of those places. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. So our last... A uh, question that we usually ask all of our guests is, "What is the last great piece of theater that you saw?" Well, I'm gonna have to go with Tina, only because if you have seen Tina on Broadway, you know that Adrian Warren is giving the performance of the year, hands down. Period. It is not up for discussion. They that woman have just given her the Tony Award, even though right. that, what no that woman awards. is doing on that stage is. I, I was in, I saw it twice and and I don't see shows twice. That girl, she is incredible. She's incredible. So I'll have to go with with Adrian Warren's performance and Tina Turner. Yeah, listen, guys. If a stage manager tells you they saw a show twice, they don't have the time <laughs> for that. So they they're seriously in love with the show or the performance. Listen, when theater opens back up, I'm gonna go see her do it again because Beautiful. now you know her vocals have been resting. So it's just gonna be even more incredible. You're right. right. You're so and right. Brian and I keep saying that we like are dying to be at the first. A, you know, the first show, you know, when, when Broadway opens back up, we like want to be in, in the theater. No, like, you're, you're, ah. you're not. The, I've been talking to my friends about it. And I was like, we all are like, when we open back up, what show are we seeing? You oh, know, yeah. like, if we're not working on something. Where, what are we seeing? Like, yeah, you know, so I can't wait. Well, thank you so much for coming on Page to Stage. Can uh, for our listeners out there, how can they find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, which I don't tweet that much, or Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram at Cody Renard, um, C-O-D-Y-R-E-N-A-R-D. Beautiful. Great. And I'll put all of that in the in the description notes for you guys to go ahead and click right on. Well, thank you. This was amazing. I had so much fun. It's Me always too. great to, to chat with by. people, you know, especially now that we're not able to physically connect with, with people. It's nice to still I have this humans. opportunity. I miss I humans so much. Uh, well, soon, hopefully, you know, I know. <laughs> one day. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.